0: From Rixie, this is Frameform. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Frameform. Today we have something different for you guys. It's actually intermission today. You know, we've been watching these films for quite a while now, and you need a break. Just stretch out your legs and maybe use the restroom, grab a drink, a snack, um, and get to know who you've been
1: sitting next to for the past couple hours, and get to know them. Think about this like the space between films in a festival. 100%. But before we start, I want to give a
0: shout out to the lovely people, Arthur and Andrew, at the A Century in Cinema podcast for inspiring this episode of the intermission for this podcast. So take a look at them. We'll have a link in the show notes. But Claire, Jen, I want to get to know you. I mean, I actually know you. I don't think our audience truly, truly knows you. Uh, we, they get an idea of who you are. As well as myself are. Um, But yeah. like Let's talk about. Who we are. Why we are the way we are. What got us into. These
2: dance films. It's a tough question. Because I don't even know where to start. I think I would just say. That. This naturally combines a lot of my interests. That I've had since childhood. And life has been a process of engaging with those interests, sometimes in a more professional way, sometimes a more academic way, sometimes a more pure joy and exploration way. And I think that this podcast is a really good convergence of those different elements where, you know, we have a nice routine, we get together, we've got some structure and we talk about whatever our prescribed topic for the week is and... It's why I keep doing it. It's why we're here on season three, and it's why I can't wait for season four and all the topics we didn't plan for this season that we can do next season. And, yeah, just the two of you make it a really rewarding part of the day and the week and the year. So that's where I'm at on that. (laughs)
1: Like, Yeah, likewise. I mean, it's hard hard to really know back, like how far back to go as far as like finding finding the root and finding the spark of exploring dance on film and thinking about it much more deeply. I mean, when I was younger, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I actually was first inspired to dance seriously when I saw my cousin perform as Odette in Swan Lake, and was just so in awe of of her and in awe of the show was that was being put on and I actually have to I mean I owe both my cousin and her really her father my uncle for um kind of driving me towards the the areas of both dance and film because my uncle was a director and anytime I visited he would always have these like for your consideration dvds that I would just like you know, just take a look at and I take a look at the screenplays he'd receive for consideration and just was really interested in how the, like, I guess how the sausage was made, for lack of a better <laughs> word. So I trained pretty seriously in dance growing up. Um, I trained in ballet at, a, I mean, first at the, what used to be Ballet San Jose, which is now defunct, and then at a smaller studio in uh, Los Gatos, and then went to school, did the liberal arts degree And really it wasn't until my senior year of college, um, I was doing a degree in dance and mathematics and I wanted to try my hand at uh, creating a performance with a film projection. And I had absolutely no idea how how to start. And I basically used that year, my senior year of college, to crash course the technical side of how to make film. And I mean, this was like with a very very tiny Canon point-and-shoot camera that had, like, five minutes of, like, media for for video and just learning on school computers how Final Cut worked. I think this was right before Final Cut 10 came out, so Final Cut was relatively intuitive at the time. <laughs> um, I mean, that being said, I don't think I properly learned how to manage media until, like, six years later and then, you know, stopped wondering why I was having you know, 250 gig projects on my hard drive. (laughs) But that was really the spark that inspired me to um, get into the world of dance film. Just the process of creating films really mirrored the process of choreography and had that added element of, you know, of different types of angles and different types of shifts between location. And at the time, I was very interested in sort of the live versus um, video component then when I moved back to the Bay Area, I noticed a few workshops being given um, first by Carrie Ann Shimsham from the Topanga Film Festival. Um, So she taught a few workshops through the San Francisco Dance Film Festival. And then um, Ben Estabrook taught a longer workshop that was more uh, hands-on through the San Francisco Dance Film Festival as well. And that was the first time I really had someone looking over my shoulder and, you know, explaining like how – not only the you know the technical side of dance film work but also the different um the different approaches to the form and i was so lucky to come in contact with ben because he uh is a massive terry demay fan he uh showed us all the Forsyth terry demay films including um like one flat thing reproduced which was a huge uh which was already something i was very into i think this again this was like a year after Synchronous Objects was released as well and so I'd use that in my thesis but he had also worked with Simon Files and Katrina McPherson he had actually worked with them on some of their films and he actually started detailing that approach to choreography on screen and so that was a huge that was a huge spark for me as far as like how um the many ways, the many angles people could approach the form from. Also at that time, San Francisco's Dance Film Festival was really staging a blockbuster year with the IMZ. And so they were going from a very small, like, you know, two two nights of screenings to like a full, like, four evenings, wall-to-wall programming panels, international pro- presenters and everything. And they needed volunteers. I raised my hand and then that's just that immersion into the world of international dance filmmaking was just such such an eye opener for me. And additionally, having the panels there to contextualize what I was seeing was incredibly helpful as well. Like Mitchell Rose was there talking about his process to uh, really sort of the early iterations of match cut Editing. There were panelists there who were talking about programming, and there were some European panelists talking about channels, um, sort of like programming for TV channels as well. But the one film that really stood out for me there, and the one panel presentation that really stood out, was the film Well Contested Sites. Now, we actually talked about this film on a bonus episode of uh, season one, but this is a film. Produced by Amy Dowling and Austin Forborge that really details the pris- the um, over incarceration, specifically over incarceration of bodies of color. I vividly remember Amy answering a question in a mock pitch session of, "Well, you know, this is a topic that's already been broached before. Why do you need to say it here?" And she said, "Well, this topic's been broached before, but usually in a talking head format where we see, you know, someone in a very stage interview talking about their experience with some." b-roll so there's a difference between talking and hearing what someone's saying and actually seeing a body confined and actually seeing a body squandered of its potential and that was another huge spark for me as far as like what really the why of screen dance why what value does this form have i love that you know the specific film (laughs) and
2: I I will never tire of you sharing your Genesis story, like the story of you falling in love with screen dance and your why screen dance, because I've, I, though I didn't see well contested sites, I did screen separate sentences and I felt very similarly about that work and about work like that, Mm -hmm. where it's like, there's something magical about this art form that you can watch with or without speech Mm -hmm. that just gets transmitted into your mind and into your soul in a way that other kinds of international filmmaking can't because there is that language barrier and it is its own hybrid language. And I think that being able to be exposed to the international world of that almost seems easier than tapping into the international dance performance world simply because we are a big little community in a way so yeah. what about you hannah because you're really the reason why we're here for frame form like this is really uh your invitation that has all of us convening here every week in conversation yeah it's funny
0: because claire listening to your story your love story your anthology <laughs> <laughs> the anthology is a good way of putting it it's funny to come to that angle because I I was a dancer. I don't dance anymore, but I dance in a way through being creative, through editing and technology. Um, out of the three of us, I, I'm not dancing and I'm not teaching dance. I'm not working in the dance community at all. I, I, if anything, I feel like I'm more of like a volunteer or... Um, Some kind of contributor in some way because I feel like I need to contribute in some sort of way. The whole point of this podcast was not just to give back to the community, but also feel connected to the community. And uh, honestly, like coming from graduate school, I really crave some kind of mental stimulation and challenge brain activity talking about subjects like this. I wasn't writing papers about dance and screen dance in my studies all the time, but I was writing papers about films all the time. And that's what really brought me to bring this podcast to people because there is a way, there is a formula, and there is an audience for people to learn and engage in this mode of work so what I want to bring to that and why I wanted to create the podcast is because I am not in that space of constantly working with dancers or Claire you're shooting dance Jen you're working with kids teaching them dance and here I am on the outside working for a big media company and doing, like learning about media management or even how to create work for broad audiences, even when I was doing advertising, uh, it all kind of comes together. So that's why I'm always coming with the technical side and looking at it from that angle of an outsider because I think that is important because dance film is such a niche community and a small community of people that know each other very well. I've always wanted to like go beyond that never since I was being introduced to it I wanted it to be above and beyond like talk about music videos talk about commercials get people excited because when you go to certain Mm -hmm. dance performances say in New York all you're gonna see are people that know the dancer and that's the sad part and that was one thing that really made me super sad when I was going into my senior year of undergrad and I meet these people coming back from, they graduated. They came back to the school to talk about their experience in the real world. And they're telling me like, yeah, sometimes there's only like 10 people in the audience or it's like, you know, it's in a small studio space, which is mm-hmm. great and all, but that didn't really appeal to me. Like I just didn't want to suffer. I always stressed about money when I was younger and right. <laughs> not that i do much anymore i feel definitely more financially independent but like there's just something about that that really just turned me off and going into the media side of capturing art archiving art sharing art digitally Mm -hmm. made much more sense to me than putting work on a proscenium space and trying to show it to a very small audience where I can make I can share my work beyond that, which is why we had an episode talking about why you should put your work online because we are living in the digital age. Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of other platform out there makes much more sense to me in the present. However, I love going to live performances. I just don't want to be that person that is struggling mm-hmm. to hold those performances.
2: I really like how you mentioned like the nature of the platform because definitely wherever the content or the discussion is living is going to influence what we're even able to cover. And I do love that when we're dealing with a digital space, even when we're dealing with an audio space instead of a video space – it opens things up way more, and we can sort of have these conversations to work on a sort of classification of topics in a way. Like, I, I think without without even needing to review the full episode list, I know that some of our favorite episodes are these location scouting episodes, and part of that is that we can kind of, in a way, meme our own <laughs> our own world of content where it's like yes it's another warehouse film but we can also take it seriously and provide some sort of practical education and realistically that is where a lot of people are turning to for education it's not all let me pay an amount of money for tuition let me go to this institution there's a lot of learning on the fly there's a lot of free content out there and a lot of the people doing the most innovative things at a fast rate are the ones that are able to have that flexibility and to be nimble and learn online. And when I think about that, like, I'll just shout out Project Home as a perfect example where, you know, the ability to be flexible and adapt and create something unique and leverage the online space um, has created something uniquely valuable in the screen dance and in the dance world.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And it's also just showing that you don't necessarily have to be, like, in a geographical locus of art to appreciate art or participate in the art. Um, I mean, I remember even when I was in college, it was drilled, oh, you're you're in dance, oh, you have to do New York for a few years. Like, it's almost like a rite of passage. (laughs) It's almost like this is what's going to... Unless you're doing L.A., of course. (laughs) Right, right. And, I mean, each... Each local scene has its own, um, I mean, certainly has its own, like, value systems and its own systems of operation. But a lot of times they really just kind of fold in on each other. And I've been in the San Francisco dance scene for 10 years and – or almost 10 years at this point, um, which is terrifying to think about. (laughs) There's a lot I love about it. Um, There's a lot. I think it's a great place to practice as a dancer. I think it's a great place to sort of, you know, be able to almost establish a dance practice without that expectation of like having to legitimize it necessarily. But it's also a very hard one to sustain and almost one that um, almost glorifies this idea of, you know, art is life, you know. Pay you know payment be damned like you know we're here to create art which that's not sustainable at all. And Hannah, as you were mentioning earlier, just you know going to this you know shows that you see the same few dozen people at it just raises that question of like who who do we make this kind of work for and is this necessarily work that's valuable because it's seeing because it's you know not being seen by the people who might need to see it and I think that screen dance really offers that space to spread that work widely and you know show it to people who really do need to see it who really can be changed by seeing it and again you don't just having these conversations continue outside of those spaces and showing that they you don't have to be really anchored in a certain location to yeah to legitimize what you do.
2: And I think that having a podcast or having any sort of conversation, whether it's our podcast or another podcast or even conversations on other platforms um, like live stream or bonus material from online screenings, like all of these contribute to the field in a really important way because it adds a level of legitimacy and interest and context and creates a bigger footprint. and. The more people that are looking for an avenue forward, regardless what stage they are in their current career education, it means that we're able to reach more people and they can say, Oh, this is a thing. Oh, screen dance is a thing. And I truly believe that there's a lot of economic opportunity as well for people that want to make this a career or want to make it um, something that they can weave into the fabric of their life in a way that actually can support some amount of a livelihood and I think it's really exciting that we are not such a tired old established um field where there there are these set ideas of what you do I feel like we're especially now experiencing a big growth spurt and that's very exciting and you know whatever role we can play in that feels really good Mm -hmm. because I love producing events I love bringing film to people I love curating and celebrating it but there's something more that we can get from these conversations that exist outside of the event and that's always been the intention with frameform and what a cool thing that we get to do this every week
0: yeah no totally it's definitely a it's a challenge and i mean that in a good way because being outside of school or being far away from some of these film festivals and not being able to attend everything and you know have these conversations after the festival or at the festival or just in passing it's it's good to think about things critically and bring that up to the eyes that are looking at it in a different way and not just seeing it as another dance film. That's one thing during my time at school that (laughs) I had this one colleague that just didn't get it. And he was always like, I just don't get it. I don't like it. I could deal without it. And eventually he did shoot a dance film and he did come around. But it's just so funny that that is a lot of people out there that just don't understand and when I tell them about my background and what I do on the side they're very interested and they want to also take a listen to our episodes hi to everyone (laughs) at this moment (laughs) but that is really important and what I also want to say is like another reason what really drew me in was people like Mimi Cave in particular who is just killing it right now also another San Francisco-based mover. Shout out, Mimi. <laughs> I know
1: quite a few people who are in that Toon Yards video.
0: <laughs> and it's just so amazing how that person has grown over time and has become very successful to be directing also non-dance works. And that was what I was interested in because I also like a lot of things that are not dance-oriented. Mm-hmm. I really love like narrative films and music videos and documentary works. Like I like to put my hands in a little bit of everything. And that's what the freedom of filmmaking gives you that I could not get out of dance choreography on live performers on a stage. I couldn't get those manipulations and freedoms that I could do on my own than telling uh, someone in the space to, Repeat the phrase five more times with a side of attitude. <laughs> yeah, I,
2: cu- I couldn't deal with it. It was not. It was not my. Thing. I'm not saying you are a perfectionist, but I will speak for myself that being able to edit and get that sense of satisfaction of changing the percentage and getting it just right is so satisfying. And I know there's a lot of people out there <laughs> that can relate to that feeling. Yes. Yeah.
0: But it wasn't – it's not the
2: perfection.
0: It's more just me seeing it Mm -hmm. because I'm someone that needs to watch it a few times and maybe change it or does this look right? It's not – like, I'm not trying to change the speed or anything. It's just, like, my mind does kind of travel elsewhere sometimes when I'm watching something on stage. When I'm watching something on stage, my brain is everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'm just – Oh, yeah. You know, it's hard to pay attention to one thing at a time. So that's where I can be. Yeah, the master controller of, you know, how fast something can be, or as many people have seen my edits. I'm very fast paced. I like to get to the next thing. And my next challenge is to slow things down. You may have seen her work
2: in West Side Story. There were so many cuts in that. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) What
0: a callback. For those of you that
2: listened, the amount of cutting actually frustrated Hannah in that (laughs) episode,
1: in that movie. And uh, I, yeah, so I so love that, Hannah. I think that also speaks to just how, you know, screen dance can really liberate, you know, working styles outside of institutional spaces, and I'm specifically thinking institutional spaces for dance, and I mean, I just remember, like, just as far as training in college and training in my master's goes, whenever there's a composition class or any kind of, like, dance composition class, they always encourage you to stay away from narrative or, like, traditional, like, you know this happens and this happens and this happens and to stay away from specifically choreographing to music and there's absolutely value in that i i think that there's a lot of value as far as you know finding different ways to communicate a story other than traditional three act structures but i also found in institutional spaces that that really becomes so narrowed that any consideration of media or you know types of media that don't fall into that are completely excluded from the conversation yeah like when I was first learning just taking video dance at um in London it was really drilled into me like you know music videos are not screen dance music videos are not screen dance everything is in service to the music but it feels really silly and really kind of you know conspicuous to leave Music videos out of the conversation. Especially because that might be the
2: gig that you actually get paid for that allows you right. to make your mm-hmm. artistic
1: film that you want to make. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, Kara had this, Kara Hagen, shout out, had this wonderful quote at the Screen Dance Symposium. Yes. There's no such thing as selling out in screen dance. Amen. Yeah. And it really is one, is an area that, you know, demands that you learn many, many different kinds of skills. And, sad to say, unlike dance, these skills pay, right? These skills can actually get you work that you don't have to, you know, elbow your superior into actually compensating you fairly for. And it's just breaking away from that institutional mindset is really, really essential. And I think that that's something that Frameform does very well as far as providing lots of different frames through which to view the form, whether it is something that's you know something that we might be more familiar with like music videos or something we're not quite so familiar with either.
2: I love that you said that because we need to be very careful who and and why we let boundaries be put on us. Like who is putting those boundaries and limitations and what might those motivations be? And I think that there are very natural, well-intentioned artists and academics that would sincerely say you no know, music videos are a complete travesty i don't know why you would ever do it but i think that that is such a not artistic approach mm-hmm. to take to be completely exclusionary of something just because it might exist in a certain way and i i don't think it's fair for people in the same breath to be saying oh where is the funding how can we possibly make the work we want to make but then also deny the opportunity exactly. when it's there Um, You know, we got to think which values are most precious. And I think if your personal values are not being compromised and you want to make the work, go for it and then go be your own first investor. What a beautiful opportunity that is if you can have it. Selling out in dance, I support it. Whatever. There's,
0: you know, I mean, we live in an economy where you got to make money and it doesn't... I mean in my perspective I want to have a house on my head over on my head over my head I want to eat well and do the things I want to supplement the things that I love that includes video editing and creating my own work in dance film I mean for the past I believe seven almost 7 years or 5 years I don't know I'm not keeping keeping count or anything but it's been quite a while since I've made a film of my own and I'm just now finally itching to make a work of my own which I'm very excited about doing this show over the years definitely has changed my perspective about dance filmmaking I don't want to say what is right what is wrong being no gatekeeper here but what I think to challenge myself and do new things and take what i've learned in dance film and looking at it through a critical lens and apply that to my own work which is so fun to do after you know looking at it in an educational manner
2: i think if you can stomach it it will make your film stronger because i think we all have our early phase where we're we've got the rose tinted glasses and it's like mm-hmm. everything looks amazing And then we learn more and we're like, I had no idea what I didn't know. (sighs) And then you become more informed over time. And I think there's such an art to developing that mindset where you're learning from your mistakes, but you're not crippled by the shame of having ever made them because it is part of the learning process, particularly something that is this hybrid in nature and has so many different things going on and there's not one right way to do it. Um, And even just your perception on what a mistake might be is going to change because I've looked at the same thing, whether it's my own or other people's work, and felt and thought completely differently depending on my mood that day or depending what I saw before it or after it or the context I had for it. Um, And I think that's another really good thing that this show offers is that context and that framework and the fact that we don't all agree (laughs) on what we like either. Um, And when we do bring in more people or we have people share about their own projects, it's you can never get too much perspective on these things because everyone is going to look at it differently and everyone's got something to teach.
1: Both of you have been saying at some points, you know, gatekeeping really does no good for anyone or for for the forum as a whole. Um, I mean, I remember in my early days when I was, you know, learning how, I mean, really learning how to watch films, you know, for programming and... Um, kind of getting in these mindsets of, oh, this is right because it was shot at this particular resolution or this particular frame rate and, you know, sort of (laughs) equating like high production value, good, low production value, bad. And then, you know, just unlearning that over the course of, um, of the years and just trying to create a more expansive look and try to create, you know, a more expansive state for receiving the work and really receiving the work on its own terms, which again, when it comes to programming can be very difficult because sometimes you do get a lot of films you have to consider. And, but it really is, you know, of, you know, a service to, to the work that, you know, it's received with, you know, with these different perspectives and these different frames to approach it with. I think such a great example
2: of what you're talking about there is the experience I had watching Tanin Tarabi's films, um, seeing Invisible Point and later The Derive, and really seeing and knowing for sure that like, oh, it for sure does not matter that this was shot on this type of camera because Mm -hmm. the conditions under which it's made says so much about it. I mean, last summer, while there are protests happening in Cuba, I'm also receiving films from Cuba. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how are people finding the time, the heart, the resources to be making dance films right now? Like, what an incredible triumph of human spirit and that need to create and to share. I will say that's definitely the best, the best gift you can get from this sort of exchange, is to really, truly connect with people in that manner that strips away the gloss and strips away the the, technic- like the technical, almost elitist elements of it and really gets to the heart of, okay, so why are you making this? And again, I'll say like that's why Frameform is really special to me because you can't necessarily do that in every festival setting, but we mm-hmm. can curate a number of conversations to have around that. And that's why I'm so excited about a lot of the guests we've got this season because I think... It's so tough to pick every year, but I think mm-hmm. we have a good range of, of people on um, from all over the world to share about their various ways in which they're practicing. And it's all good information for us. And I, I think it's important for us to support that mentality as well and not be too precious with things either.
1: Yeah, I, I, I encourage you to because this episode is coming out afterwards, I encourage you to listen to Semeda's, uh interview. Mm-hmm. I um, that I, I was feeling like when I was interviewing her that I was getting like a full complimentary like semester's worth of <laughs> compositional ideas, <laughs> and it's something that again, like frame form, really you know we it's it's very accessible as far as you know entering into the conversation, but it's also very rigorous like there is a very you know I mean we really do try to leave no st- stone unturned in in each conversation and I think that all three of us have a shared love of the form and very different ways at which we approach it that really no stone can be left unturned
0: because of everything that we talked about our backgrounds what we love about the form I don't want to touch on one last subject before we close things out because I think this kind of does show a little bit of our personality besides what our interests are in dance and in filmmaking. But I want to hear your top five, three to five films that you love that are not dance films, because I feel like that, in a way, definitely shows a lot about yourself. And what you are bringing to the Frame Forum curation conversations that we bring every week. So you can't see this here, but Jen is sitting here writing some of her uh, favorite films. So Claire, <laughs> what are three to five films that you really love oh my gosh well i have They don't
1: have to be serious let me just say okay that. they don't have to be serious i um oh my gosh i'm suffering greatly from recency bias here and i know that when i listen back to it i'm i'm going to say like oh i forgot that one i forgot that one. Oh my gosh i can't <laughs> believe it but i mean the number one film that i mean again recency bias here um mostly because it was the first film i saw back in theaters when you know the pandemic started to clear away and that is David Lowry's the Green Knight I am I am obsessed with this film I um <laughs> just as far as well I mean first of all the way it looks literally every frame is a painting and also Lowry himself is a super fan of old, old techniques of set design so there are actually like some uh, like black narcissist style hand-painted backdrops that are included in it that look so much better than any Marvel movie can can CGI up. I'm obsessed (laughs) with this movie. um, Just as far as just thematically how it deconstructs the idea of the hero and the hero's journey. Um, Sort of this um, paying homage to uh, the ideas of chivalry while also completely subverting it. Um, Talking foxes. We have witchcraft. We have naked people on fire. We have... We have Dev Patel looking hot and sad for two hours. How can you not want that?
0: I do like Dev Patel. I do love
1: Dev Patel. (laughs) Yes. Love that Um, film that I've, again, a film that I've gone back to quite a few times recently as well, um, Mulholland Drive. um, Classic. Just uh, I obsessed, again, very obsessed with that one and just sort of the... Very um, California. Very very California. Very, like, L.A. noir. Um, yes. Which is a yes. very, very great way of putting it. And sort of this idea of subverting expectations without completely, like, twisting your head up into knots. You get one to two, one to three more. Yeah. Claire. Oh, I, okay. I have another, okay, another one. Uh, okay, another two um, that are coming right to my head that I'm going to shout out before I forget them. Um, another... Uh, one that I love so dearly is um, *Picnic a Hanging Rock*, which is uh, one of Peter Weir's first films. Again, just the the atmosphere it it creates, and just the um, both visually and sonically, um, as well as just how satisfying a film can be without having its plot resolved at all. It's it really is such an engrossing experience, and I also, um, this might be a controversial pick because uh, I'm going to name my favorite Robert Wise film. It is not West Side Story. It is The Haunting. I, mm. um, again, I just, it's. I'm I'm usually not a fan of horror movies, but this is a movie that really does psychological horror extremely well. I think it's one of the best horror adaptations and you know of a shirley jackson story no less and also just um i also appear appreciate the um i wouldn't even call it queer subtext it is like straight queer text which is so uh i mean insane for a movie made in 1962 but yeah that is a that is a film that i um i make a point to watch every halloween wow
0: jen ray your top your top three to five films.
2: Okay. I tried to strategize so they're not all docs. They're not all coming-of-age films. So here's what we got. One, I have to say Uprooted because it is still <clears throat> one of my favorite docs. And I wouldn't necessarily call it a dance film. Mm-hmm. So Uprooted the Journey of Jazz Dance. Check it out. As far as docs go, I will also say Won't You Be My Neighbor. Yes. yes. That's so pretty. I haven't seen the Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers thing. I don't need to. I've seen the I've the seen documentary, the documentary. Yeah. It's what I literally did for my birthday a couple years ago when it came out. I was we were in Manhattan and I was like, this is what I want to do on my birthday. I want to watch this movie. I want to sob the entire time. <laughs> and it just speaks to me on such a deep level. And I'm I just relate a lot to Mr. Rogers' approach and how he used television as a vehicle to connect with children and basically in some way reconciles reconcile the wrongs in the world or change lives one one episode one conversation at a time and that's truly the approach that I go into my dance classes with so like on a spiritual level won't you be my neighbor I will also say West Side Story because the new one because it is still one of my favorite films and I believe one of the best. Yes. Musicals. Um, and then two lighter picks. I have to say clueless. I had to pick (laughs) a coming of age film. And I think clueless for the fashion, for the careers at launch, for the slang, like all the research, the, the, the mythology around it, the fact that I still want Cher's closet.
1: Like, (laughs) yes.
2: um, yeah, so I have to say Clueless. And then the last one, I have to pick a Jack Black movie because I am such a huge <laughs> fan of his. So I'm going to recommend one that I think maybe not as many people have seen. And it's actually based on a true story. It's called The Polka King. And Jenny Slate's oh. in it. Oh. Vanessa Bayer's in it. It's ah. about this guy that, you know, um, Jan Levon, the Polka King, who built his company and just like... It's so funny, and it just has a lot of humor around, like, his culture and around, like, how that connects with American culture and, like, this exotic polka entertainer. And, like, just, it's such a funny movie, and Jack Black is perfect in it because this guy is, like... Putting his heart out there, convincing everyone, he's like, I got this. And you can see in the back of his mind, it's like, do you though? Do you, man? And like, he's just such a compelling character. I love that movie. So yeah, those will be my five for the purposes of this conversation.
1: <laughs> what about you, Hannah? I have oh. one I have one more to make it to five. Go for Go it. Go for it. Um, Okay, I here's one I completely forgot, but one that is still very formative for me. Um, that is under the skin. Oh yeah, uh, Jonathan, that's Glaser. a gnarly one. I it is gnarly. Oh my gosh! But it it's I, I just appreciate just the risks that the film takes, um, combining uh, both guerrilla filmmaking and just traditional filmmaking yeah. into just such a trippy but also very moving experience of you know watching and watching an alien yeah. try on human clothes and um, again I'm not the biggest ScarJo fan I think she's extraordinary ScarJo. This. I it's really I mean such a difficult character pull off she does it just incredibly like she well. plays
2: not being human really well
1: <laughs> I'm
0: gonna tell the truth go for it so Besides my picks that I have here, I really love late 90s, early 2000s rom yes. my My mom is a romantic and she loves watching Hallmark movies and she loves romantic comedies no matter what age of cinema it is. So that's where I get my gene of no matter what day of the week it is, I'm down to rewatch any kind of early 2000s, late 90s rom-com. Um, I just recently rewatched As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a good one. I watched The Divorce last night with Kate Hudson and Naomi Watts, Glenn Close. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those movies so much how to
2: lose a guy in 10 days did you also want to work (laughs) at a magazine and like have an oversized apartment for your salary
0: i (laughs) i mean it's just amazing to think they're like i'm 30 and this is my apartment and i'm just like in new york city (laughs) like what um so i love those movies um and i love will and grace and i love frazier and i love anything in that era um it's just that's that side of me that i'll never that will be never stripped away from me
2: Have you two seen Along Came Polly? Uh, Come on. Oh, it's been a long time. But I don't like (laughs) that movie. Find me a funnier supporting actor than Philip Seymour Hoffman. He took that role seriously. Like, he was going for that Oscar. Yeah. That movie doesn't... That's one where it's... Maybe it's because you liked Deborah Messing and you, like, didn't want Lisa to be the person that was, like, the complete villain. No, I just
0: didn't really like Jennifer Anderson's character in that.
2: Like her playing herself, I don't think she's playing <laughs> herself really. Well, it's de- definitely not like her real self, but she's playing her perpetual like, oh hi, oh yeah, I'm just so impulsive. Oh, I just God. feel
0: like her character in that movie is just like way out of left field. Where does it, it just doesn't add up in my head? Like I'm just like this isn't Jennifer Aniston.
2: You like her better in Friends with Money,
0: yeah. Even though I hated that film too.
2: I just generally don't like movies where people cheat, which like that's okay encompasses a lot of movies. And I'll just admit it's a trigger for it's, me if I don't need to watch it. It makes me
0: also very... Infidelity does make me uncomfortable. I don't know why. I'm just like, this is wrong. And I'm cringing right here.
2: It's because movies normalize. Yeah.
0: So it's interesting how those are the things I draw to and I still watch to this day. And not even rewatching, but also watching new one, um, ones that I haven't seen. But on All the it. on my top four list, as I do have letterboxed in front of me, um, <laughs> yes, this is rigged. Uh, I love films with a lot of visual detail and a lot of long shots where we're just like looking at things, like moving photographs. You know, that's that's <laughs> one thing that I've learned to appreciate, um, which I don't. Encompass enough in my own work visual photographs and that is something that I've grown over time of was- watching like uh, works like Ozu and one person that I love the most is Wankar Y, Wai and his work Chunking Express yes. that is my all-time favorite movie I haven't watched it in a while but it's just like you it, it makes me feel very good inside when I watch it from everything from the color the use of editing the use of camera and the technical mm-hmm. things that you can do in camera versus through the edit.
1: So I think yeah. it's beautiful. Wai is just such a master as far as like how how to speak. Exactly. In
0: film. And without words too, which is like what I can appreciate. Other works that fall behind that, a lot of people um know me for loving Sophia Coppola. And The Virgin Suicides is very dear, near yes! and dear to my heart. Um, oh my I was gosh. also a very big uh, Kristen Dunst fan when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, this film just really spoke to me in um, being like, you know, being a girl. And I, I grew, I am a only child and I'm very used to the silence of things so a lot of the suburban silence in this film really drew to me i wasn't i'm not depressed or anything it just kind of like captured that essence of summer and summer in suburbia which i absolutely um kind of weirdly love
2: i used to watch it all the time as a teenager that was one i'm like always on repeat in my room yeah (laughs) which is weird because it does have that feeling of boredom yeah And it's like, why would a teenager watch people being bored anyways? Why would you watch Parents More Strict Than Yours? It It, makes no sense, but I get it. It's the (laughs) mood
0: that it puts you in. I love movies that kind of leave me kind of chewing on something, which also is how I felt after seeing...
2: Chewing on Josh Hartnett's bubblegum?
0: No, I was going to say, which let me... It definitely put me in the direction of that in Call Me By Your Name. I adore that film mostly just for its visual nature I didn't read the book I know a lot of people have their qualms with the film versus the book but definitely again the essence of summer and possibility
2: and heat and what that feels like and being in love I never saw it but I saw a funny tweet that Chalamet read which is like how come when Timothy Chalamet does that to a peach, it's art, <laughs> and when I do it, I'm not allowed back at the grocery store? I know,
0: yeah, I've seen, I've seen that, but it's like,
2: <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's
0: not even that. It's just like there's just something. Again, that's also a coming to age film that drew me in, I, I, like just finding love and being in love, really in love for the first time, and. Yeah, coming to age movies are is also a soft spot of mine that I'm slowly trying to grow myself out of as I'm like in my 30s and I don't need to be watching teenagers mm-hmm. on screen even though I'm like binge watching Euphoria in our
2: childhood but now they're mm-hmm. set in our childhood like that's the creepy thing about being millennial right now is like the nostalgic high school stuff is now set in our time so Kinda. it's like, they're, I totally agree there. with what you're saying. There's yeah. some, there's some like Turning Red, like the Pixar movie that came out, like that was set basically in my childhood. And I'm not going to speak on that film because I don't need that kind of negative energy in my life. But that's an example of one that's like set in our childhood. And then I think there was like another one called um, Senior Year that Rebel Wilson was in. That, that one was really great now. And it was randomly set in Maryland? Yeah, it was randomly said in Maryland. I was like, Maryland. no movies are set in Maryland. What's happening? <laughs> um, yeah, but I would say alleviate yourself from the guilt of like, ew, I'm watching teenagers because the fact you're mm-hmm. even having that thought means that, like, you're good.
0: Yeah, it, it's <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I'm still watching Euphoria, but also all those people are in their 20s, and it's, like, way yeah. different than that, but... I mean it's just interesting how i'm like slowly growing out of the coming to age and going through like what being 30 is all about and that is another turning point in life where you're really feeling like you know contributing adult in this world
2: you're like i kind of need to like find mark ruffalo and like you know make amends i don't need that like put (laughs) Mm -hmm. the dollhouse back i don't need that i don't need that (laughs)
0: But for my last film, I do want to call back to one of my personal favorites that I fell in love with also during my time in film school, which was Blow Up by um, Antonioni, which, again, talk about a moment, watching moments unfold in a very, almost like chess-like manner, where you just kind of watch people do things and silence, and I just loved how things turned in that film and how slow it takes and it's a hangout film and I'm I like hangout with films every now and then and this one was one that really really caught my eye you know people I know a lot of people like blow out a lot more with John Travolta because they feel more inclined to a story and there's things going on and there's you know questions that need to be answered and it's more fast-paced where this one really kind of this is just someone's day and we don't know why it happened how it happened and will we ever find out maybe not and i kind of like that that way of things and films that challenge you in your sitting sequences mm-hmm. <laughs> but i th- i think that's something to say looking at films and how we're watching them definitely adds to what we're interested in and what we're doing and why we're here doing the show and all of that and you know I'm not going to stop watching the films that I want like to watch or the tv shows that I like to watch because I think that definitely adds to the conversation and thought processes of how we look at work in our own subjective way
1: yeah I mean, I also just, you know, just want to add, like, you know, Doc, I'm a huge Whovian. I've been watching Doctor Who forever at this point. And there's, you know, for some reason, like, whenever I'm in art, like in an artistic environment, like, I get some pushback. I'm like, no, this is, you know, it's a story across space and time. It's expanding, like, what you can possibly do. Like, literally anything goes. Follow, follow your bliss when it comes to both creating and watching. Well, it looks like the, the lights are
0: flashing back on on and off again. Um, I'm going to go hit the restroom one more time, and then we'll go back in and watch the rest of the films at this festival event. Let's do it. But we'll catch you later. I'll catch you guys later. We'll we'll get drinks later, yep. right?
1: Get getting drinks later. I'm just going to run and grab my popcorn right now and sprinkle some San Juan or St. John yes. sea salt on it. <laughs> Well, Jen, Claire,
0: it's always a joy talking to you all, but um, I'll see you after the film, this film screening. All right? All right. Catch you later. We have an announcement this week brought to you by the International Screen Dance Calendar. From August 26th to September 11th, Rogue Dancer Must Be Set Edition will be screening online for your viewing pleasure. There are some who believe that messages spoken through the arts are the only way to change the world. Dancers, choreographers, and filmmakers, through sound, images, and movement, tap into communication that is beyond words, hoping for pause, absorption, and thought. This month, join Rogue Dancer in celebrating works with a message. Dance filmmakers with something to say. To learn more about Rogue Dancer's must be Set edition screening, check the link in the show notes. And with that intermission episode under our belts, the Frameform team will also be taking a brief intermission of its own. We'll be taking a two-week pause from posting to regroup and refresh before we release the rest of our Season 3 episodes. So now's the time to play catch-up. Where did you skip an episode? But for now, take care. And we'll see you back Wednesday, September 14th.